Hey, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John, John chapter 2. John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. There are four gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of you are going, I know that. Some of us are going, I didn't know that. That's great. Gospel is, means simply this. When we say the gospel of Matthew, it's not really the good news about Matthew. It is the gospel means good news. It's the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. Each one of them are biographies and are written about Jesus. John wrote the gospel of John. Not sure he called it John, but we do. We do. So, if you have your finger in John chapter 2, go ahead and let's stand together. Let's stand together. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana, Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. I just have to say she must have been thirsty. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing and each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So, So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine And he did not realize where it had come from, though the certain servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did there in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. You may be seated. Well, we are in a series, as was told to you earlier, called uh, the, uh, The Table, Practicing the Way of Jesus Through Hospitality. Hospitality. As I've prepped and conversed about this practice with others, including yourselves and others outside, it's become really easy to see the Bible through the lens of this practice. I mean, the whole of the Bible. It's incredible. God's invitation to us and his welcome is woven throughout the whole of Scripture and God's interaction with us as humans. Well, today we are going to talk about the aspect of celebration in and through the practice of hospitality. As followers of Jesus, we're called to and compelled by the Holy Spirit to what? Love God, love all people, and follow Jesus together. I was 
reminded in my devotions this week, once again, by this troop, that, that through God's love expressed in the kindness of his son so that I could be redeemed and rescued. Maybe you had that same occurrence. In fact, it's a common theme, whether you're in devotions or you're in the Bible, that you have been redeemed by the kindness of God, that welcome of God, right? And it is due to the God's love that we are called to be the connectors, or Paul says ambassadors, of redemption and reconciliation or rescue to all who do not know. Living out the ways of Jesus is exhilarating for followers. Had that this week? Exhilarating? It can be thrilling and demanding and taxing at the same time. The thrilling aspect of living with and in Jesus is when we're obediently surrendered to his word and spirit. Did you catch it in the line of the new song we sang? It's there. When we're obediently following, there's exhilaration. There's a a pleasure that the Holy Spirit expresses in and through us. But can I tell you that it becomes more taxing and more demanding when we're chafing at the will of God and our own desires, our own ways that we want to live. When we're walking outside the truth of his scripture and the power of his Holy Spirit, that becomes tiring, becomes exhausting, not so much exhilarating. I love how Eugene Peterson kind of frames the life in the spirit in Galatians chapter 5. Now, what you're going to see on the screen is not all that I'm going to read, but it's part of it that I want you to see. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, and a conviction that a basic holiness uh, permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Now, this is what happens when we don't live according to the Spirit. Legalism is helpless in bringing this about. It only gets in the way. Among those who belong to Christ, everything connected with getting our own way and mindlessly responding to what everyone else calls necessities is killed off for good and crucified. There's a a struggle with life when we're not walking with the Spirit. There's also kind of this cloud of, darkness that hangs at times, right? Or we kind of take this Eeyore complex on. It's all right. It's okay. Now, I bring this message to you not out of one who is uh, accomplished in any way sense of this at all. I really bring it with a little bit of fear and trepidation because what I'm bringing to you is not something I practice very well. I love to. I love being around others who do, but I know from whence why I don't, and God is working with me. So be patient with me as I walk my way through this message, where the Lord is kind of going, Steve, you need a work in this area. Our culture says to lean in and live out those areas where the, uh, 
where the Holy Spirit convicts us in that journey on a dead-end street, right? I mean, the culture just pulls us in that direction. And it's dead-end. I mean, think about this. Can you eat whatever you like and as much as you like? Now think about it. Can you? Sure you can. But is it a dead-end street? Will your doctor tell you, well, you have a month to live? (laughs) You have, you know, I mean, right? To live longer and healthier, we have to say no to some things that, that we would probably love to indulge to an excess and not so much to other things. If you played sports with a team in high school, many of you probably know about two-a-days. Generally, it's in football, but there are other sports that do it. That conditioning and training, right? Coaches often inform their players to drink a lot of water, right? Excess on water. Eat good, healthy foods, right? To get the best performance of yourself. Yet, there always will be a few probably more than a few, who do not heed the advice of running the miles requested, doing the exercise prior to the two-a-days. They end up with excessive cramps and soreness and may even be a little sick for a few days because they didn't take the guidance that their coach gave. You know, friends, we tend to be the same way. We tend to be the same way when it comes to our life in Christ. Yet, There's a work being done in us, even those of us who follow Jesus. There is both death and life. We learn to, we need to learn to celebrate the life of God that he brings our way. Whether it is, as is found in Galatians, this life that dies, that's part of the carnal fleshly life, we celebrate that, and then we celebrate what God is doing in us. When we do celebrate, when we do celebrate, we reinforce the ways of Jesus and life in greater truth and greater freedom. But often, because of the way our minds are wired, neuroplasticity, brain people tell us now these days that once we have something negative going, it's hard to change it to a positive. One negative comment needs to be replaced by something like seven positive comments, and even then, there's a struggle. But we need to learn to reinforce the ways of Jesus so that we have a greater life, a greater freedom, a greater truth. Who better to celebrate with than God himself, the one who created us, the one who made us into who we are? Richard Foster really drives home this point in the last chapter of his Celebration of Disciplines book. He says that celebration is is a necessity for followers of Jesus. In fact, he says this, quote, we all need festivals of joy as together we seek the kingdom of God. His encouragement is not something that's taken out of context or out of place. In fact, we find within the Bible that the people of God were called to celebrate, to remember, to think about God's faithfulness to them over and over and over again. In fact, some of you have maybe taken a course here or there of talking about the feasts that are found in the Old Testament. There are seven main feasts in the Old Testament. Passover, Passover is that celebration and reminder 
that God rescued his people from slavery. In fact, it's at that point that he calls them his people, by the way. And gave them freedom and then promised them uh, to be a God of rescue from there and out. Uh, unleavened bread. This is a reminder of God's call, calling to be the Jewish people to be his very own people, a holy people, not just a people, a separated people. First fruits, a reminder of God's bounty to his people, feast of weeks or Pentecost, that's what we call it, a joy-filled celebration of God's calling, uh, calling them during the law of Sinai, but we celebrate it as the, really the birth of the first church, really the apostolic movement Trumpets, the gathering of a nation of Israel for his favor. The Day of Atonement, yep, a rest day, one of purification for his people and priests. Feast of Shelters, again, a celebration of those first fruits, but lasts a little bit longer. In fact, that's one thing that God knew uh, that we needed long celebrations to recalibrate our hearts and our minds to him. So God calls his people to celebrate. There are other Uh, traditions tucked into the Old Testament that are spoken about, but those are seven main ones. Celebration becomes a part of the fuel that we faithfully walk the ways of the Lord in. In fact, without it, we wouldn't. Can I just tell you, we wouldn't. Uh, There's a saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. Some of you remember saying that or had it said to you. There's truth there. God knew it. God knew it. Gave a celebration. Not the phrase, but he gave us a celebration. Yeah, you won't find that in your Bible. (laughs) What happens to our marriage when we don't celebrate it and play? Some of you are there right now. You're slogging through it. The days just simply just roll one into the other without definition, without celebration, without remembering What's really small, right, becomes super big. The mission of marriage becomes lost in the midst of every day. Uh, You maybe didn't know, marriage has a mission. Uh, Sign up for a class someday on marriage and we'll talk about it. It does, and it's not what you think. It's really not what you think. Hey, speaking of marriage, let's get back to John chapter 2. On the third day, a wedding, to play, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Please don't miss this. Not that she wanted a drink. This, Jesus is at the wedding. I know. Some of you are going, really, what? Jesus is at a wedding. He's there with his mom, they're at a celebration, and it has been going on for several days now, not just a few hours. It's amazing. Weddings were this, this place, that, this celebrations that lasted for days, and friends and family of town, and they're not even of the town, and we're not sure, scholars are not quite sure why Jesus was, Jesus himself, his mom, and the disciples were invited, but somewhere along the line, they were connected And so not only was the town probably invited, but there is a celebration that's going on. 
Jesus says it's a wedding. It's a sacred celebration of the intimacy of a man and a woman, two becoming one, when a man and woman give themselves solely and only to each other. I mean, this is pinnacle stuff here, folks. And you're thinking, it's just another wedding. I have to buy a gift. We're missing it. The celebration, the intrinsic uh, celebration that not only the couple that's getting married, but, the, but those of you who have gone, right? I know some of us long for that. I hear that. I hear that echoing. But some of us have gone and went, oh, that's right. And you grab your spouse's hand once again, and you're reminded, oh, okay, good, thank you. This living imagery is a reflection of what God is calling good. And he's there. There at the wedding and the wine runs out. This, in this culture, was a huge no-no. Don't run out of the wine. Now, in our culture, I pray that that's not the case. But the wedding... And the families connected would have, been, would have been talked about for days on end. This was a disgrace to, walk, to run out. And it's Nathaniel's hometown, so there's a little probably feedback, right, coming there. We've already talked about this, the idea that the whole, whole village would have been there, would have been custom. And I tell, when we tell people how many people were at our wedding, people, oh my goodness, we didn't have the whole town, but it's compared to many that I know, it's larger than some. We didn't know everybody. That's how big it was, so. And they've run out of wine. This could have changed the whole celebration into distress. But Jesus' mom tells him there's, there's, not, there's wines run out. His reply, you got to love this woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not come. I always get a chuckle because we don't hear it the same way that they are hearing it then. His address of calling her woman was not out of disrespect. Uh, yeah, my grandfather, I had to reflect on this while I was going through this. My grandfather used to call people walking through the business. He would call women that came in, he would call them woman. And I don't think he was the same thought I love my grandpa, but I don't think he had the same uh, uh, love, if you will, that Jesus would want us to have for everyone. In the first place, Jesus could have been saying, there, there's not a problem. It's not my problem. This is their problem. I mean, we think about Think about the response. He's just going, why, why are you involving me? They're the ones that ordered the wine for the celebration. Why ask me? He's a guest at the wedding. He wants to partake in the celebration and be treated to hospitality, not dispense hospitality. Ever been there? Right? You're, you're, there, you're at some place and you realize something's missing and you're going, well, pfft, it's on them. But you see that it's missing? Hmm, we'll see what Jesus does. Maybe you can follow suit. At another level, Jesus seems to be saying to her, not now, not here. In fact, that's where many scholars are. Wait. But you have to ask the question, right? It's all about this revealing of the kingdom of God. Like when we have planned a surprise and we've invited others to the surprise party, 
But someone innocently, not intentionally, innocently slips the secret in a conversation about the surprise to the very people. What? I mean, you're just like, really? I've worked all this, all this time. Could it be like that? Is that what Jesus is saying? Like, not here, not now. Wait until I'm ready. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Like, really? She just takes up another notch. We have to just kind of reflect on Jesus' response. Mary heard that he didn't say no. Some of you are good at this, right? You're in meetings and you go, oh, that's where I'm going to slip in. I'm going to mess this all up. (laughs) Or do good. All right, maybe it's the do good. Those of us lead meetings, sometimes we go, oh, I didn't see that coming. (laughs) Maybe Jesus didn't either. I doubt it. Okay. What's Jesus going to do? Was he carrying cash on him? I mean, how do do you get this? Was Jesus going to go to the local spirit store? Uh, For some of you may not know what spirits are. That's a liquor store. What did Mary know? I mean, come on, let's let's conjure up. You got to think about this. I mean, it makes your head scratch a little, right? We make jokes about James being the the half-brother of Jesus when we preach in James and talk about James, but Mary, right? It's like, did he make wine at the table? I mean, how would she know that what he could, I mean, did he, did she know? This had been, this has to be kind of interesting. It scratches, I scratch my head. The one thing we do know about Mary, though, that at his birth, she contemplated what was said about him. Right? That he was to be the one to bring the good news of great joy to all the people. I don't know if that fit in. Mary knew something we didn't. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Now, Jesus is looking around, and he sees these stone jars. He had them filled to the brim with water. And no, 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 I don't know if any of you remember this, but this is what came to mind. Not filled to the rim with brim. You guys remember this? Do they even sell this anymore? I, I hope not. It's decaffeinated. It's got to be bad. Sorry for you decaffeinated drinkers. I get it. I get it. That is a lot of wine, folks. A hundred, potentially 180 gallons of wine. Now this, uh, this is interesting. Let me ask you, have you ever looked around? and seen, have seen six water jars. And the Lord's Spirit has prompted you figuratively, metaphorically, to fill the jars with water. You know what I'm talking about. To step, to do, to go, to have something done, not knowing what the end result will be, but to have them filled. Now, Jesus knew what the end result would be. But when we talk about trust, I think the Lord leads us in this direction 
on a regular basis. This is the exhilarating part. This is the celebratory part of living for Jesus. It's living on that edge of like going, okay, this is the next step. I don't know what's after it. You praying for those nudges? Praying for those opportunities? Are you looking for those? Then he told them, now draw some water out and take it to the master of the banquet. So he did. So they did, excuse me. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had turned, been turned to, into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So they're at the celebration. Can you imagine this? You're the servant. You do your duty, right? You, you stay in your lane. You fill the water jars up. And then there's this master of ceremonies, kind of like a, probably a wedding coordinator or something like that. And this person is given the water to taste, right? Wouldn't you have liked to have been the servant to stand back there like, this isn't going to go well. (laughs) This is not going to go well at all. And the master of the ceremonies takes it and puts it to his lips and tastes it. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. You have saved the best till now. Now, a ton of allusions with that, right? A foreshadowing of what is yet to come in Jesus himself and the cross and the empty tomb. Yet, I think it's also In this case, it's an immediate thing, right? The master of the ceremony is in the midst of celebration, feasting takes taste, uh, midst of celebration and feasting, and tastes a miracle. Can you imagine that? Jesus happens on the scene. Don't miss this. And a miracle happens. This is not boxed wine, folks. And I know nothing about drinking at all but I know there's a there's differences (laughs) cheap stuff and the best stuff and the best to last I'm told to have the best wine is like a lot of things there's a there's a longer process involved there's the gentle and continual care for the root and the vine and the soil from where the grapes will grow Long before you get to the end product, you have this, this careful process of caring for where the grapes are coming. And then there's a greater care to the process when the fruit comes and to create the wine and the process and the time. The product will reveal itself. Now think about that. Most of the time it takes a long time. With Jesus, it can be an instant So what were you praying about earlier? Seriously, what was in your hand earlier? I I know we're talking about celebrations, but this moves you to celebration. What issue, what, what needs to be resolved? You know, God can take care of it like that. He may want to or may not. Jesus in John 15 tells us that his father is the gardener and he is the true vine. 
Can you imagine anything else but the best in and through Jesus, whether in this moment at Cana or in your own life? Isn't that worth celebrating? See, celebrating with God will bring out the best. Always. Always. When he arrives, when he is there, he will bring about the best. It is your responsibility it is your opportunity to heed what he tells you and respond. Servants drew the water. The master of ceremonies took the drink. He created the miracle. Now think about this. God's desire is for us to celebrate the good life that he has given to us. John 10.10 10 says this, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. We have that part of our life. In fact, he's constantly on us and wants to detract us. But, he, but it goes on, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In John, there's a few more. It says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Whose joy in you? God's joy. Jesus' joy in you. And that your joy may be partial. No, complete, full, overflowing, continual. John 16, 23 and 24 says this. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Wow. Celebration? Absolutely. Jesus for us is life. It's life to the full. He desires for his joy to be our joy. He tells his followers who are learning to live his way, ask in my name and you'll receive. Your joy will be complete, mature, filled up, and overflowing. And just in case you're wondering, why did Jesus' first miracle and John need to be wine? I don't know why I had to be lying. I really don't know. Yet, there are Old Testament passages that give us a clue, potentially, why he married it to this agrarian culture and those things. Wine, oil, and milk become the focus of celebrations in the Old Testament. Listen to these. They're not going to be on the screen. Jeremiah 31.12 says this, They will come and shout for joy in the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord, the grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds, these are things of which they celebrated around. In that day, Joel says, Joel 18 says, in that day mountains will drip new wine and the hills will flow with milk and all the ravines of Judah will run with water. Amos 9, 13 through 14, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from the hills. And I will bring my people, Israel, back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I don't know why Jesus' first miracle was wine. It doesn't bother me. What it is is a celebration. 
It's an opportunity to, to revel in good and what is good. In fact, John himself says this, what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Scholars will tell you that when, that when the signs of Jesus happen, especially in John, there seems to be this kind of confluence here. There are moments when heaven and earth intersect and celebration can break out. Miracles happen and celebrations break out. So friends, how, how where, how, and what do we celebrate? How, how do we just, not just attend weddings? I've been there, just attending. This is nice. But we are at them. We're celebrating with them. Where do we give ourselves to the space that allows for celebration, just as Jesus did at this wedding, uh, to be in the ry- rhythms of of the ways of Jesus. And when we say rhythms, we mean regular practices that we put into our living to celebrate the goodness of God, our good Father, our good Shepherd. How do we do this? Well, I think there are several ways. Philippians tells us that we need to orient our minds in a certain way that I believe helps us to celebrate those things that are good, right, and wholesome. Because the world wants us to celebrate those things that are destructive, dehumanizing, and objective valuing. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice and the peace of, and the God of peace will be with you. We are to orient our minds towards what God says is good. May I remind you that when he created, he stated what is good and right. We need to celebrate. So here's a few pointers you can write down or write or fill in. We need to deliberately feast together. We need to deliberately feast together. This means simply, and I'm not gonna go into great detail here, but play together. And when I say play, I mean play. Find something that is lighthearted. Read, listen to music, go for a walk. Do those things that allow us to celebrate the things of life. It may be even incorporating yourselves into the celebrations that happen around you that are good, right, wholesome, and pure. While we have life to live, this is where I get caught. Chores to do and emergencies that pop up. It does not... (laughs) We need to learn to take the ordinary and allow it to be extraordinary through celebration. The meal around a table, since we're talking at, about the table, is not to be about only the food, friends, but it's to be found in the everyday good that happens one of the things that we would do with our kids when they were younger at the table, they were still in school under our roof, we'd ask them, okay, what, what bad happened? You know, what good happened? You know, there were several questions. A few of us a few years ago went through Tish Harrison's Warren's book, and she's right. When we, when we learn to make the everyday sacred, we start to then make it extraordinary. We start to celebrate what is just every day, and it's good. So when I say deliberately feast together, it's having that mindset 
around those things that are everyday and leaning into them. How about this one? Create your own feast to remember. Some of you have family events you need to remember and you need to put down a stake and go, okay, every year at this time, we're going to celebrate this. And you not only draw in your family, but you draw in friends and then guess what? You get to share the goodness of what God is doing and what he's done to you in the past and what he will do for you in the future. These are our opportunities to create our own traditions, our own opportunities to, to tell not only our own children and ourselves, but our grandchildren and pass that along as it morphs and takes its own ways. Some of you know that this is one that was going to be on the list. You need to establish Sabbath rituals. You need to establish Sabbath rituals. Now, this, this is so important to us. It's important for a couple reasons. One, it reminds us that we're not in control. Yep, I said that to myself. We're not in control, right? So when we enter Sabbath, it is a day of stop. It's a day of rest. It's a day to go, no, I'm not going to do what I normally do. So how do you do that? This is one of the difficulties that many of us have. We don't demarcate our celebrations, our entering into them and our exits out of them. So some of us need to consider what that means when we enter into Sabbath. Is that, is that candles, like the Jewish way? Is that a meal? Is that a dessert? Is that a long walk with the family? I don't know what it would be for you. But where you go, okay, it's started. And the cell phones go one way, uh, the negative comments and conversations about whatever's going on gets set aside. It'll always be there, I promise you. But you think about what's good and right, and you celebrate those things. We need to remind ourselves who we are. This is part of celebration. I believe within the biblical narrative, we remind ourselves who we are and who God is. We remind ourselves who we're not in all of that. And the last one that I want to leave you with, we need to be a people that engage in the rhythms of the church family. Where did you connect? Who did you commit yourself to? Officially or non-officially? Sometimes I think that we forget that that's our, our mutual community is to be mutually encouraging and celebratory together. We learn from week to week together and we celebrate what good happens, yes, as well as the not so good. But it's where righteousness and goodness love for his word, love for who he is in a communal way happens. And when we engage in it, we have the opportunity to to be a part of those celebrations fully, not just kind of feeling on the fringes. So what step is the Spirit leading you in this morning? What one of those or something else that the Lord has spoken to you is he leading you into? Before I close in prayer, I know the blessed book was given, we're giving it out today. We want you to take it. Some of you have found it on Audible or Hoopla or uh, some other form. We're grateful for that, but we're making this available for a small donation um, to live out the practice of hospitality and give it to you in some very practical ways to integrate not just celebration, 
but also uh, in, engaging in conversations that are good and godly and will draw people in. Remember Acts 2, 42 through 47 was this group of people who gathered and they celebrate, celebrated, but as they celebrated, others were drawn in to that. So if you should pick up a book today, or you already have, we want to invite you to a casual discussion on Sunday, August 29th at 6 p.m. We want to see how the book has impacted you and what practices out of that book may emerge, how we can encourage one another to, doing, to living out greater love and good deeds.